Mark. Yeah, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. This is what, how it reads, how Mark records this. One Sabbath, that would be um, the day, uh, the Lord's Day, right? Which we celebrate on the first day of the week um, after Jesus' resurrection on the first day. But one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. How big is a head of grain? Wheat? Okay, so they're picking some little heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he his companions and his companions were hungry and in need? They were running for their lives from Saul. Um, in the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, and he asked the priest for food, and the priest said, We don't have any, but you can take the consecrated bread. And he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man, that's him, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, that's again on the Sabbath, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Pharisaical laws uh, didn't even allow you to save a a dying person on the Sabbath. That was, you know, that was work, which is ridiculous. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then he asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Um, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Do you know the answer? You, you can, you, can you figure it out? Okay. But they remained silent. They didn't say anything. He looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Isn't that a great response? You know, he just fixed him, fixed the man. Oh, let's kill the guy. All right, we're going to talk about this. Have you heard of blue laws? Blue laws go way back to Europe before the colonials uh, came and the colonials brought them with them. Blue laws were designed to restrict certain activities on Sunday. Um, and other specific days um, for religious reasons in order to observe a day of rest or a day of worship. In colonial America, for example, it was illegal, get this now, it was illegal to kiss a child on Sunday. And you also couldn't shave. I don't know why. Blue laws, they've been declared uh, constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court on multiple occasions in the last 200 some years. In uh, most of the, and yet in, in our country today, you don't you won't believe this maybe, but 28 states still have blue laws on the books. In, in Arkansas, for example, alcohol and liquor sales are not allowed on Sunday, so you can't buy a beer on Sunday in Arkansas. And, and that's statewide um, for Christmas Day. In Maine, it's illegal uh, for almost all businesses to be open on Thanksgiving. It's also prohibited uh, to, to hunt on Sundays. That's a bad law, don't you think? <laughs> in 
in Michigan, since 1953, it's been prohibited to buy, sell, or participate in the trade of motor vehicles on Sunday. In Maryland, professional sports can't start their games until after 1 p.m. on Sundays. And in Indiana, it's illegal to ride a horse faster than 10 miles an hour. And in Kentucky, a woman is not allowed to marry more than three times. And in New Jersey, it's against the law to wear a bulletproof vest while you're committing a crime. (laughs) Okay. Those last three aren't blue laws, by the way. I just thought they were really interesting. (laughs) All right. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had 1,521 prohibitions that they added to the Torah, the Old Testament. So 156 pages, can you imagine that? 156 double-sided in the Talmud. The Talmud, in case you're wondering, is the written-down oral tradition of the rabbis on the Torah. So we had the Torah since Moses, 2,000 years before Christ. It was all compiled um, and written probably around 250 before Christ. There was rabbis all along the way making comments on the Torah, and that was kept alive in oral tradition, passed down from generation to generation, and they finally wrote it down in a book called the Talmud, and in the Talmud is where you find all those prohibitions. Crazy, huh? In our day, did you know you can buy a refrigerator that is Sabbath mode ready? Sabbath mode refrigerator, that's right. You see, in Exodus 35, God told the Israelites in the Torah that no fire may be kindled on the Sabbath. So over time, people extended that to no lighting of lamps, because that's fire too, uh, on the Sabbath. And then when electricity came and became common, it was translated to no turning on the lights on the Sabbath. And uh, then it eventually became no lights may go on on the Sabbath. Well, you know that little light inside the refrigerator? When you open the door and it goes on, So now you can buy a refrigerator that you can program so on Sunday it won't go on when you open the door. Which is a good thing for the salad so nobody will see the salad dressing. I know, I know, I know. Dad joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife told me not to say that one. But... Okay, what I've been discussing so far is um, what we call legalism. All right? Legalism. Last week we saw how busyness can, can destroy the spirit of the Sabbath. It can kill the Sabbath principle of having one day out of seven as a rest day to thank, thank God. And legalism can also kill the Sabbath. That's why I want to talk about it today. Legalism is keeping the letter of the law without the spirit of the law. Okay? The problem with legalism and observing uh, a day of rest each week is that legalism in this Sabbath observation uh, destroys the human spirit instead of restores the whole the whole human spirit and the Sabbath is meant to restore the human spirit but legalism does not do that it kills it it depletes it so this is the problem that Jesus points out in chapter 2 verse 27 okay so we'll take a look at that verse uh, once more chapter 2 27 the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a, you could say, a servant of man. Man is not a servant of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you, for your benefit. And legalism is the opposite. Legalism tears you down. Did you notice that in our text, Jesus did something good? What is a good thing he did? Healed the man's hand. Mm-hmm. He did something good. 
and it's considered bad. This is what legalism does. It takes a good thing and makes it into a bad thing. And then while the Pharisees are upset that Jesus cures a man on the Sabbath, what do they do on the Sabbath? They decide they plot murder. That's okay, I guess. Don't heal somebody, but plot murder, that, that's all right. See, it's, it's all mixed up. And then the text, the text says that the Pharisees, uh, let's, take, let's take a look, uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Who did the Pharisees get in cahoots with? The Herodians. Do you know who the Herodians are? The Herodians are the people from Herod's line. Herod is the, the puppet king of Rome. Herod is not a true blood Israelite. Herod is an Idomedian who, whose family was converted into the Israelites and, and kind of uh, uh, sucked on in and, and joined with the Israelites, but he's not a true blood Israelite. And Herod was a, uh, a puppet king under Rome. And he did what Rome wanted so that Rome would let him be in charge. And the Herodians were all in favor of doing what, you know, cooperating with Rome. So the Pharisees didn't like them at all. The Pharisees hated them. And they hated the Pharisees because the Pharisees made it hard for the government to run with Rome being in charge. So the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. They hated each other. It would be like, it'd be like uh, Pelosi and Trump deciding together to take out a terrorist. This would, they're, it wouldn't happen you know but okay we might not like the Herodians but if they'll help us kill a guy alright talk about confusion that's what legalism does legalism just confuses us we know laws but we are lawless we have a conscience that we're conscious of a code but we have no conscience yeah, that doesn't make any sense so let's pause for a moment and think about legalism. Why is it so easy? I mean, you, everybody runs into it, right? You had it when you were a kid, you know. I had it when I was a kid. My wife, uh, their family, they could play baseball. They could throw the ball, but they couldn't use a bat. I don't know why. Legalism is attractive because it's easy and it's mindless. You don't got to think about it. You don't have to wrestle. You don't have the problem of wondering whether this is good or bad. You see, you just uh, set up your rules and no more thinking, no more struggle, no more agonizing of whether this is appropriate or not appropriate. Just follow the code. Now, it might start out with a good rule for a good reason, but after a while, the rules aren't serving us. We're serving the rules. And there's no room for grace. And there's no room for understanding. And we just get angrier and angrier about it, constantly comparing whether we're achieving the rules to whether other people are achieving the rules. I mean, let me paint a, a situation uh, just to help us think about it. So you adopt a practice, maybe. You say, in our, in our house, we are not going to read Harlequin novels on Sunday. Because... When we read Harlequin novels, we become less satisfied with our spouse. They're not as romantic as, you know, the button up. So we're not going to read those. We're not going to read those on, on Sunday. That's, that's, say, a rule that you make up. And then you chase yourself, because you really like to read those novels, maybe. And you pride yourself when you succeed. But when you don't succeed, you chastise yourself. Oh, I picked one up again, you know, and you castigate yourself because there was one in the doctor's office and you just started reading it. That lousy doctor, what does he think he's doing? So now you're mad at other people for helping you do the wrong thing 
right? Which we haven't even decided really is the wrong thing. You just decide that you don't want to do it, right? And finally, you start to look down on people who don't keep your practice and your rules. You know, really, nobody should be reading Harlequin novels. I'm pretending, okay? That's, I'm not giving you a law. But that's, what, like, that's the way we start to think. And then we find it very difficult to actually like people who say like Harlequin novels. Or let's say, bring it down the road farther. You know, you're a Christian and you follow Christ and, and it's very hard to not like, to, to like people who aren't Christian and don't follow Christ. You see what our, our rules have done to us? Now we dislike people because they're not like us and they don't do what we do. Does that sound like Jesus to you? There's an older lady who came to a very quiet, old-fashioned church and the pastor was preaching and the woman was just moved and she, she shouted, Amen! Amen? Amen. Oh, okay. One of the ushers came up and, she, and he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we don't do that at our church. She apologized. She kind of said she would try to be quiet. But a couple minutes later, the pastor said something else wonderful and she said, Amen! Amen. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and the usher gave her a dirty look. You know, so she sank down in her pew. And uh, lo and behold, the pastor said something else inspiring. And a little old gal shouted, Glory to Jesus! And at this point, the pastor looked at the ushers, and four of them proceeded to carry her out of church. Well, the lady shouted, Praise God! Jesus rode into Jerusalem on one of them. I'm being carried out by four of them. I always wondered what happened to that lady after we threw her out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This, this is the oddity of legalism that I'm trying to point out to us. The, the focus of the Lord's Day is not on the right tradition or the right rule being kept. That does not build people up. Obviously, we're not, against, we're not against God's commandments. God's commandments are good, as we read at the beginning of the service. They're wonderful. They're good for us. They're the recipe. In fact, that was such a good children's sermon. You know, we really don't need my sermon, I think. So kudos to Kelly. That was, that was, that was a really illustrative. But um, we want to be careful of this, right? Read with me Luke 11. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law... Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. All right. So legalism destroys the spirit of human, and that's the problem with it, and it will destroy our Sabbath uh, understanding if we apply it to our Sabbath. Okay, earlier I said that the Sabbath was for you, for us. That's why God made it. He made it for us. It's, it's a blessing. It's supposed to be a benefit. Now I want to say that the Sabbath is for man, but the Sabbath is to God, okay? So let's make sure we have that distinction. The real focus of the Sabbath day of rest is on uh, knowing and being happy in God, okay? We're looking for Him, all right? Because it's for us to enjoy and to rest and to worship or to see, to find God. We use other words, uh, you know, for 
be knowing God, worshiping God, adoring God, marveling in God, thanking God. Did you know in the Jewish tradition, um, they don't even say prayers of intercession on Sunday? That's too much work. Only prayers of thanks. Now, I'm not saying we have to keep that practice, but that's a practice that they did to remind themselves that the day is to God. And the worship service has become integrated into Christian worship uh, because we come here looking for God. That's why we come. We come looking for God. We want to hear from Him through His Word, through His people. You know, hopefully none of us will get in the way, but we'll actually meet up with God while we're here. That's the point. That's, that's why we're here. We want to find His goodness. We want to experience and, and hear His, His love and His hope, celebrate His resurrection his death and resurrection as we will do with the communion in a moment and remember that there is a God who's running this world who loves us and whose kingdom will go into infinity and because of his grace I'll get to be a part of that wow and that's hopeful that's why we come to worship Sabbath is about enjoying God alright the Westminster Confession first question and answer uh, goes like this what is the chief end of man and the answer maybe you know this is to, one, glorify God, and two, enjoy Him forever. Which I think this is really, that's really good. You know, a lot of people think, we're all about enjoy, uh, glorifying God, that's true. But people forget that we're meant to enjoy Him. It's in the Bible. Uh, look it up. It's in Ephesians, it's in First uh, Thessalonians, it's in Timothy. Let's check the original um, statement, okay? When you're enjoying God, you're actually glorifying Him. It's, it's to his glory that you enjoy it. So, so just stopping, and Sabbath, we talk about stopping, just stopping and doing nothing, that's not the Sabbath principle at all, okay? There has to be something that's happening good in there, is loving God, finding God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, says the commandment in Exodus 20, fourth commandment. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant, your manservant, your animals or alien within your gates. So, did you notice that little phrase in there? Can you see that little phrase? Um, a Sabbath, what? To the Lord. A Sabbath to the Lord. Okay? That's Exodus 20. Exodus 16 calls it a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Exodus 31 says it's the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. The book of Leviticus says it the same way. The book of Deuteronomy says it the same way. I think you get the idea that, that the Sabbath day is a worship day. It's a day to God. So God's day off, our day off, is to notice God, to look for Him, to find Him, to enjoy Him and the good things that He's made. In the first six days of the week, you know, as Genesis 1 puts it, all the very good things. Now, suppose I just stop and I do nothing. Like, I just sleep. Or, let's suppose I just stop on, the, on Sunday and, and, I don't, and I don't work, but I watch, say, Stephen King movies all day. You know, does, does that feel to you like you're looking for God? There's this, the Sabbath is to God. We're looking for God on the Sabbath. That's, that's where joy and hope is going to be found. But be careful. As one writer, Lynn Babb, writes, this is a striking 
striking quote when I read it. Uh, For many Christians, attending a worship service is the only activity that marks the Sabbath as a special day. Sunday afternoon, errands begin, families scatter, the pace of living never slows. Viewing a worship service as a sole expression of Christian Sabbath, Sabbath causes us to miss out on so much more. I think she's right. We don't want to miss out on so much more. The, the worship of God that we've come here to do is just supposed to be a spark that lights the fire uh, so we see God better in the rest of the day. It's, it's supposed to be a day of, well, the catechism calls it a festive day of rest. Ask yourself that. Is, are you making your Sunday a festive day of rest? Is it festive? It was for the Jew, for the Hebrew. Festive day of rest. The Jewish tradition emphasizes that Sabbath was for three things, for worship, delight, and rest. Do one of those surprise you? Do any of those surprise you? Worship, delight, and rest. God's gift to us to brighten us up. Uh, Don't tell anyone that I told you this, but in the Jewish tradition, Orthodox Jews encouraged married couples to make love on Friday night. Their Sabbath. That's their Sabbath. Because worship, because Sabbath is for delight. Okay? Only prayers of thankfulness on Sabbath. I told you that before. Now, I'm not saying that these are all rules that we defile. I'm, I'm merely trying to show you that God's people attempting to follow his command in the past have had the good sense of how his day of rest was supposed to be special and restorative. Which is to say it's a sin to be bored and unhappy on the Sabbath. It is a sin to be bored and unhappy on, on the Sabbath. God wants you to be happy and to delight. Now, obviously, delight within the bounds of his goodness, right? So, look for delight. Live in thankfulness. There's an old Jewish uh, Sabbath day prayer that goes like this. Days pass, years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles. So, God's day of rest is so that we don't Walk sightless among miracles. See them. Notice them. Bask in them. Enjoy them. Smile at them. So what do we do? Pragmatic Americans, we want to give us give us some more rules. What what should we do? How do we do that? I love what Mark Batterson says in one in one of his books. The only thing that you must do is not to do the things you must. Embrace whatever gives you life, whatever is good. The obvious answer to chapter 3, verse 4, right? Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Obvious answer, to save, to do good, to promote human life. So, Get out the candles. Of course, you can't light a fire on Sunday. Now, that's just an old rule. Uh, go on walks. Get out the good dishes. Sunday would be the perfect day to use those china things you never use. Right? Get them out. Uh, go on walks. Play special games. 
whatever. If water is out on the water is where you feel the most peaceful, get out on the water. If if laying in the hot sand makes you smile and thank God, go to the beach. It's a great thing to do on the Sabbath. Just don't walk sightless among the miracles. All right, let's 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 wrap that up. What? Uh, what uh, what do, we, what do we do with our day off? Well, does it promise rest? Does it bring delight? Does it honor God? If it does those things, do it. Martin Luther said, Love God and do whatever you please. Now, your love for God is going to qualify what you please, right? But if you love God, do what you please. Now, if we start to do something or start to practice something in order to delight in God or to rest or to uh, whatever, uh, to honor God, if we start to do something and then those things we start to do for those good reasons become later a burden that we do because we have to, then there's something wrong. They're violating the, the Sabbath principle. We should stop them and we should pick something else. Because we'll, we'll have lost what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath was for people, but it is to God. So, like we said last week, we don't want to ignore God in our busyness, but neither do we want to miss Him in making our, our Sabbath a burden through legalism. Jesus, as you well know, who is our God, who we follow, Jesus came to set you and me free from the laws that we could not keep. The fact that we couldn't keep the laws. This doesn't make the laws bad. But the fact that we couldn't keep them is why he came to take our place. He did it by keeping God's law. So you know God's law is good. He kept it perfectly. He was a sinless person. And yet he took our punishment anyway out of grace. Which all of us, which, all of which tells us that everything God instructs is for our benefit. And is to his glory. And it's all possible because of him which is what we're going to celebrate uh, right now in the Lord's Supper. So I told you before that elders will come forward. I'm going to, I'm going to read. Uh, um, how are we going to do this? Oh, uh, those of you who are singing during communion, would you come on up now? Um, not all, all of the praise team is coming up for that. Uh, the elders will, will come forward and there'll be one on either side. And... You are invited to come to the Lord's table. What I want to do is I want to read uh, from Isaiah 58 as a, a, a predecessor to our celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Um, Isaiah 58 is... Oh, I know. I wanted to read it from the message version. Uh, so let me just pull that up a minute. Okay. Here it is. Short little chapter. But but listen. Listen carefully. Isaiah 58. Shout a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. Trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. <clears throat> it, it sounds kind of negative, but it's going to get better, okay? They are busy, busy, busy in worship. And they love studying all about me. And to all appearances... They're a nation of right 
living people, law-abiding, God-honoring, and they ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line is, on your fast days, oh, the bottom line on your fast day is profit. You're doing it for your own profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. That's that kind of fasting that you do won't get your prayers off the ground. <clears throat> do you think that's the kind of fasting that I'm after? A day to show humility, to put on a, a pious long face and pray around solemnly, say in black. You call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To get rid of the exploitation in the workplace. To free the oppressed and to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry and inviting homeless people into your homes and putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad and being available to your own family. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once and your righteousness will pave the way and the God of glory will secure your passage. And then you'll pray and God will answer. And you'll call out for help and he'll say, here I am. All right, I'm going to jump to chapter 59 from 58 and read you verse 15. God looked. Because God goes on, he he talks more about it. You might want to read Isaiah 58 uh, in its entirety. Um, God goes on and says, "Here's, here's the problem so forth. And then it says this, God looked and he saw evil looming on the horizon so much evil and no sign of justice and he couldn't believe what he saw not a soul around to correct the awful situation so he did it himself he took on the work of salvation fueled by his own righteousness he dressed in righteousness and put it on like a suit of armor with salvation on his head like a helmet he put on judgment like an overcoat and he threw the cloak of passion around his shoulders and that's what this supper is about that's how God fulfilled that in his son Jesus